Thank you, team, so much for leading us this morning. And uh, got your Bibles, I invite you to join me in the Gospel of John. And uh, we're actually going to be in two texts this morning. We're going to start in John 20, and then we're going to make our way over into uh, the letter of Ephesians. And um, as you're turning there, I, I, I pray that as a faith family in these, um, these kind of the start of this new year, that uh, there's great encouragement that is found from uh, our Savior in that is that there is absolutely nothing that can stop the church. There's nothing that can prevail against the church. There's no outside circumstance or pressure uh, or brokenness that can stop the church. Matthew 16, uh, it's one of my favorite passages, but uh, they're in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus is speaking into his disciples' life. They're in a place that is known as what would be an epicenter for pagan worship. It's happening all around them. And it's in this setting that Christ says to Peter that not even the gates of hell can prevail against the church. And so there is great encouragement for the local faith family uh, that no matter what, no matter what, nothing can stop or prevail against the church. But um, one of the things that we, 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 we are aware of is that there are all kinds of things that can slow down a church. That there's a lot of things that can happen when a church takes its eyes off of uh, what it has been rescued and redeemed for. So as the body of Christ, we, have been a, we are a rescued people. We have been redeemed by the grace of God. And that the reminder is, is that our purpose as a local church and the church that is global is that we are here. We exist for the glory of God and for the mission of God. And what can happen is, is if as a church anywhere along the way, if we lose sight of the focus, it's very easy to drift. And if any of you all have experienced a drifting away, it can be a very dangerous place. I was thinking about uh, yesterday I was riding around with one of my boys and one of my boys said, hey, daddy, uh, have you ever had a wreck before? And the answer is yes, uh, there, there's been a few, but, uh, but, but he was like, well, tell me about it. And I was thinking about one of them specifically, I was a college student, uh, I was driving and I got uh, lazy behind the wheel. Uh, and as I got lazy behind the wheel, my car began to drift towards the right side of the road. And as I was drifting toward the right side of the road, uh, I drifted a little bit more over the side of the road where there was uh, a nice big long stretch of gravel, which then I completely lost control of the car and rammed into a mailbox. I slammed into a mailbox and all mailboxes are not created equal, okay? Because there are some that's on like a little pole with a little mailbox on top, and there are some that are literally built like a house. Like they have bricks around them. They're, they're like two stories tall. Well, I hit one of those. I hit a house. I didn't hit a mailbox. I hit a house, and it totaled my little Nissan Altima that I was driving around in. And so all of that to say, if you're not careful, drifting can lead to very dangerous Place. It can lead to a dangerous place. And so as the church, we have to be vigilant. We have to be focused. We have to be sober-minded on what God has called us to as a church. And that's really what January is about. 
That's about what we're walking through uh, in this series we're calling Moving Forward is that as we move forward, we must keep our focus on the glory of God and the mission of God, that there are specific behaviors or practices or actions that we would that we would embrace as a faith family, because these are going to things these are going to be the things that keep moving us forward as a church for his glory, for his mission. One was that we would become God help us to become a disciple making church. That there are all kinds of things that we can do as a church. There are many things we will do as a church. But we must be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is his plan. This is his plan A for reaching the world. This is his plan A for reaching our community. This is plan A for reaching DeSoto County. This is plan A for reaching our state and our nation is through the local church making disciples who make disciples. Second is that we would be a praying church. And there are many things that we can pray about, many things we must pray about. But, but as we move forward, one of the things that we must lean into is, is specifically praying for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus to begin a relationship with Jesus. That one of the practical ways that we challenged each other in that is, can we name at least one person who we know doesn't have a relationship with Jesus or may, who be, may be far from God, but are we intentionally praying for that person to come to Christ because Christ is the only hope. And so a disciple-making church, a praying church, we talked about last week being a loving church. God, help us to grow in this area. Help us to be a loving church. John 13, Jesus says, I will tell the world how they will know that you are mine. And it is because of the love that you have for one another. And it is an agape love. It's an, an, it's an even though kind of love. It's not based on circumstance kind of love. It's an unconditional kind of love. And Jesus says, this is how, this is how the world is going to know your mind. The love you have for one another. And then we leaned into this hospitality, which is a, is a word that in the original language of the New Testament means loving strangers. And so the, the encouragement there for us is that love is going to be the mark that unites and protects the unity of the church. But it's going to be a loving hospitality, a loving of stranger that is going to allow our church to make a and be a witness for Christ in the community. So God help us be a disciple making church, a praying church, a loving church. And then today, what we're going to talk about is God help us to become a missional church. A missional church. I think many of us, we hear the word missional, we think missionary. Okay, we think about those people who give up everything and who, uh, who go to a faraway place. And maybe in our mind, you know, we're thinking a jungle somewhere where there, you know, there's very few people and, and, and God absolutely does call those. But I wonder how many of us, okay, how many of us believers, how many of us think of ourselves as a missionary? And this is one of the areas of the text that, that we're going to be challenging this morning. But, but I, I do want to share uh, just some exciting news in that. One of the things, one of the reasons that I love that we are a Southern Baptist church is because we're a part of a Southern Baptist convention, the Great Commission Baptist, which means we partner with about almost uh, 47,000, over 47,000 churches that partner together and invest in equipping and training and in the, in, in the sending out of missionaries all over the world. We have what's called the International Mission Board. 
that as of the end of the year, December 2020, there are 3,558 IMB missionaries that are currently serving on the field. That, that we as a church over Christmas, we had a special offering that was over and above the, the, the tithes and offerings that you'll see on the back of the bulletin. This was something that was completely separate. It's called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, where 100% of those dollars go to fund, equip, and train missionaries all across the world. We had a church goal of $28,000. And the last number I saw was over $31,000 that this local faith family has given to those who are called and to equip and to train missionaries who literally are going out all across the globe to share the gospel of Jesus. Many of us think of missionaries and we think of those people. We think of those. Maybe you have a, a cousin or a relative or maybe a missionary has come to share. We think of them. But how often do we think of ourselves as believers? How often do we think of ourselves as missionaries? And yet... In this text today, we are going to be challenged. We're going to be challenged in that. Simply stated, to be missional is to live life as a missionary. It's been said that being missional includes embracing a posture, thinking, behaviors, and practices of a missionary in order to reach others with the message of the gospel. And that this is, this is not a way of seeing people who are apart from Jesus as a project. Rather, they are objects of God's love. People are the objects of God's love. And so we are to love others well. And we show that love. The greatest display you can show that love is by sharing the love of Christ with them. The church has a mission because God has a mission. A missional church is a community of God's people that defines itself and organizes itself around mission. Being an agent of God's mission in the world. The church is to live sent because God is a sending God. This is what he does. This is who he is. And so I'm so I'm super excited today because it could be that God would want to encourage you, the believers in the room this morning, that God has uniquely wired you, called you, equipped you, gifted you to make a kingdom impact in a way that only you can. And so I pray that God will use this text to even awaken, stir up, encourage that in our lives today. And I want to begin by looking at a broad stroke to the global church. And then I want to narrow that focus to you and to me as individuals. So in John chapter 20, um, uh, we got to remember who's writing. This is the Apostle John, the disciple John. Uh, he's writing this letter Early on in his life, Jesus called him and his brother James sons of thunder. So you kind of get this idea that John had a, a bit of fire in his belly uh, and, and kind of a kind of a, uh, a kind of a, a, a passionate kind of guy. And then we also see in his life and ministry that later that this disciple is known as the apostle of love. He's known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And and so no doubt you see that God had molded and shaped this heart into one that was sensitive and yielded to him in every way. And he has written this gospel letter and he tells us in John chapter 20 verse 31 why he wrote it. He tells us the purpose of this letter. John chapter 20 verse 31 says, but these are written. In other words, this account, this letter, 
These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That this gospel writer, John, he was an evangelist. He, he mentions the word believe a hundred times in this letter. And so he has got a message to share. And he has a message for us, the church. And one of the central truths of the day, one of the themes that I want us to see is that God has called us, his church, to live sent. He has called us to live sent. If you look at John chapter 20, verse 19, the Bible says this. It says, and on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is Resurrection Sunday, this is Easter Sunday, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So think about this. This is the 10 remaining disciples. Thomas was not with them. If you keep reading John chapter 20, you'll see Thomas pop in the story. Judas had already taken his life. And so you have these 10 disciples that are gathered, possibly in the same upper room where they would have shared their final meal just a couple days earlier. And it's in this setting that the Bible says the doors were locked. They were fearful. And we understand why they would have been so fearful because they saw what happened to Jesus. They thought that they could be next. That at any moment, the temple police could come busting down the door and that they would be the next that would pay the ultimate price for their faith. And so the Bible says they are, they are hunkered down. They are fearful. The doors are locked. And then we see Jesus Christ shows up. In verse 19, again, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus had came and stood among them, can you imagine, and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands, pierced by the nails, showed them his side, the scar where the spear would have entered. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Christ in his resurrected body literally passes through the walls. Imagine, they are, they are fearful. They are doors locked. They're thinking they're next. Temple police is going to come in any moment. They know the tomb is empty and all of a sudden Christ is there. They, Luke 24 talks about how they thought it was a spirit initially. They thought a ghost had shown up. But yet Christ shows them his hands. Shows There are no other hands that look like those hands. He shows them his side. And when they see the Lord, when they see the Lord, they are glad. They are glad. It is him. It is him. It's Christ. And this complements the fact when he says, when Christ says, peace be with you, those words are, are thick with meaning. I mean, what, what, how, how could that have impacted these disciples? Can you imagine? They're terrified. They're fearful. They are, they are, they're all there. And, and Christ shows up. His words, peace be to you. I love that. That's encouragement for the church today. Is that no matter what, that no matter if you are fearful and the doors are locked and you have no idea what's going to happen next, that Christ is there and he says, peace be with you. He's comforting them. He's reassuring them. 
They have no need to fear. If you even look at the broader scope of the gospel, that it is because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus that we can have peace with God because the Bible teaches us because we're sinners, our sin separates us from God, that there's a barrier there. And that we are, the Bible says, at enmity with Him. We're enemies of God. Apart from Him, apart from His grace. And so what God did was God made a way through the sacrifice of Christ. Shedding His blood, placed in the tomb, resurrected from the dead, has made a way for us to have peace with God. To have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And so now more than ever, the disciples are convinced that this is the Christ. So in verse 21, the Bible says that Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Repetition is very important. I'm thinking because they need to hear it again. (laughs) You ever need to hear it again? You just need to hear that word again. You need to hear that scripture again. Christ Peace be with you. Here he says it again in verse 21. Peace be with you. And listen to this. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I am sending you. God is a sending God. He's sending them out. They don't necessarily have all the details of what everything is going to look at look like but one thing is for sure. God is speaking and commanding this calling over his believers life. That he's calling them out. This would not be a new phrase that they would be hearing for the first time. Because if you go back to John chapter 17, before the arrest, the betrayal of Christ, Christ is praying. How do we know he's praying out loud? Because the disciple John is writing down what Jesus is saying. The Holy Spirit brings that to mind. And in that high priestly prayer, what's known as the Lord's Prayer, John 17, verse 15 through 18, this is Christ's prayer for his disciples. He says, to the Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I've sent them to the world. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you that it would have been days later that they would be on that Galilean mountainside and Sea of Galilee and that Christ would give what is called the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where he says to them in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so God has called his people to live sent. And the encouragement and the challenge is for everyone who's in the room today, everyone listening online, that if you have ever had that time and that place where you have repented of your sin and you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to be your Lord and your Savior, then God has commissioned you to be a sent one. That He has commissioned you to be a missionary. (laughs) And that can look all kinds of different ways. And so this biblical base of I, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And so we have been commissioned. And so there's this broad stroke understanding that this is what God has called His believers to do. 
And so what I'd like to do is, is from this kind of broad stroke for every believer with the breath of life in their lungs that we have been called to a mission, that we've been called to live sin, what I want to do is make our way over to the letter of Ephesians. And now I want to take the, the kind of the broad stroke and kind of bring it in to us individually as believers. So if you head to the right from John, you got John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Ephesian church. He's writing from a Roman prison. A lot of times these letters have themes, multiple themes or a theme. One of the themes of this letter is that Paul's heart for the local church was that they would mature in their faith. Was that they, they, would not be, they would not be content, that they would not be satisfied, that, uh, that they would not grow stagnant in their relationship with the Lord, but that they would grow and that they would mature. And one of the ways that he challenges the church is that, is that every believer would understand there is a heavenly calling on their life. There's a heavenly calling on the believer's life. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Paul says this, he says, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So in Ephesians, I want us to look at chapter two, verses eight through 10, maybe verses that you've heard many, many times, but such a powerful, have such powerful impact for us. As the church, look at Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. The Bible says this for by grace, praise God for his grace for by grace. You have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. May we be encouraged this morning that for those who have been rescued and redeemed, that this was not because we somehow were able to work up enough good to outweigh our bad. Or that at the end of our lives, that somehow we just hope in the, in the grand kind of scale of things that our good would outweigh our bad. On our best day, you put our sinfulness against the holiness of God. There is no standard. There is no measure. There's no standing. And so what he says is be reminded that, that salvation is a grace gift from God. And it's nothing that you've done. It's based on his finished work. And look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. That word there, if you were to dig into it, original language, it's the word poema, which is the word we get our word poem from. It's this idea that every single person is a one of a kind. Think about this. There has never been another one of you and there will never be another one of you. And there is a one of a kind. You are a one of a kind masterpiece from the creator of the universe. And sometimes we can lose sight of that. We can forget that because it is possible that for some, some of you in the room, you woke up today 
And whether you became aware of your circumstances or you even look in the mirror and there becomes this discouragement, this frustration, this brokenness, and all this stuff just kind of heaps up, but yet may we be reminded of what God says. God says you are His workmanship. You are a one-of-a-kind masterpiece uniquely made by the Creator. And the same power that God used to save you is the same power that sustains you. And that He's created you for a purpose. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is one of those verses. Perhaps somebody said it to you, or, or, or maybe you've shared God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Why are we so confident that God has a plan for our lives? Because His Word tells us so. And so for every believer that there, are, there is this plan A for your life, and as you live yielded and surrendered to the Holy Spirit, God wants to use you in great, great ways. He has a, he has a, he has not only, there's not only a general calling on our lives as believers to live sent, but there is a special calling. And it's oftentimes how God has uniquely wired you that will inform what that looks like in your life. There's a gentleman, and I'm going to try to get his name right, but his name is Hans Urs von Balthasar. <laughs> I think that's how you say it. But here's what he said. I love what he said. He says, who you are is God's gift to you, but who you become is your gift to God. And so... You are uniquely called, wired, gifted, equipped to live out this missionary life in a way that only you can. God has uniquely created you to live sent. This is what Ephesians 2.10 teaches us. It teaches us this. So, practical application here is number one is that you would be encouraged. Every believer is equipped with a unique shape. Eric Rees uh, wrote a great book, and he uses this acrostic, but it's, his book is about finding and fulfilling your unique purpose for life. I believe with all my heart that as believers, if we're not tuned into how God has uniquely wired us, that we will not live as fulfilled a life as we would hope. That's because God's created you for good works, that, you would, that He's prepared that you would walk in. And so every believer has a unique shape. Every believer has a spiritual gift, at least one spiritual gift. And I wish we had the time to unpack that. But at the end of the day, be encouraged that even if you don't feel like it, God has gifted you. Some are more speaking gifts. Some are more serving gifts. Some may be more front. Some are more behind the scenes. But, at the, but, but God uses it all. And so you are gifted. He's given you a heart. We're going to circle back around to this in a moment. But the reality is, is for every person in here, you have an emotional heartbeat and it's unique because there are certain things that you are passionate about, that you get fired up about, that makes your heart skip a beat about. And there are other things where you are maybe less emotionally connected with. And everybody has a unique, has a unique emotional heartbeat. We've all got it. And the encouragement is don't ignore that. God wants to use it. Every one of us have abilities. They look different. They, they, they display themselves differently. But everybody has God-given abilities, personality, all along the spectrum, right? 
introverts, extroverts, everybody in between. Experiences. God doesn't waste anything in your life. That He uses those mountaintop victories and He uses the deepest, darkest struggles of your life and He uses it all from a place of healing to be able to make an impact for His kingdom. And, and when you look at your unique shape and you mix all that together, that you begin to be informed about how God wants to use your life in a way that only you can. He wants to grow His kingdom through you. And so, a question for us to consider today is simply this. What special burden has God placed on your heart? What special burden has God placed on your heart? And so what I'd like to do, I've asked, uh, we're going to have a few testimonies this morning. Uh, but I want to begin uh, by asking Ms. Debbie Woods uh, if she'll join me. If you, if you don't know Ms. Debbie, then you are missing out. Okay, she's incredible. Uh, her and her hubby, uh, Mr. Edmund Woods, love them very, very much. And uh, some of you may be familiar with a little bit of their testimony specifically as it relates to the burden that God placed on their heart and, and their work with the Memphis Union Mission. But I want to ask her if she'll share with us this morning. Good morning. Uh, Edwin wanted to be here. He wasn't able to be here today. So I'm actually reading his words. <laughs> Memphis Union Mission Ministry. Uh, Romans 12:11 says, Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. After attending the Passion Conference in 2011 with our college group, I believe that God started to give me an awareness of the fact that there are so many hurting people in our world, and he challenged me to consider what I do to show his love to those in need. Like I have done with God so many times before, I tried to negotiate. But God, I teach Sunday school. But God, I'm a deacon. Surely I do enough. But I don't believe I presented a very good case. After some prayer and discussion with some close friends, I decided to call Memphis Union Mission and see how they needed support. We were invited to come and assist another church that was serving dinner and then leading out in worship, praise, and the sharing of God's word. I believe that in our group, everyone was moved by the worship that took place. It seemed as though we were in a room full of despair and a lack of hope. But when these guys worshiped for a minute, all of their problems went away, and it was an amazing time of worship. I believe at that point we were all hooked and ready to sign up. We have been serving the fourth Saturday of each month since June 25, 2011. We have developed a care team and have been supported by Sunday school classes and other volunteers on a monthly basis. I can honestly say that God has blessed our efforts. We have encountered some amazing worship with these men, and I would dare say that in this time, we had the privilege to pray with hundreds of men, men that were probably in one of the lowest points of their life, but they realized their need for Jesus. God has taught me several things during this process. As cliche as it may sound, anything good in me is from God. If I will just trust and obey, he is able to do great things. Don't focus on the results. Focus on obedience to God and being willing to serve others. Each of us has something to give others if we simply make the time. Prayer not only makes a difference, prayer is the difference. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And as I look around the room, many, many of you have served with us at the mission. We could not do it by ourselves. So we'd like to thank the church for your support, your prayers, financial gifts, and serving alongside with us. Thanks. Amen. Thank you, Ms. Debbie. Can we show Ms. Debbie some love this morning? We love the Woods family. And uh, I don't know if you caught it, but it was towards the beginning. But God gave an awareness to his heart for the hurting. 
And so almost 10 years ago, there was God moving on a heart, a special burden for somebody who was hurting. And now oftentimes as God will do is with couples is both he and his bride have been together through that whole journey for almost June will be 10 years. We're there last night. Last night, serving a meal, sharing the gospel. Mr. Al Getty, I don't know if y'all know him. He's an incredible, incredible lover of God. And he he was sharing Jesus with them last night. And one thing this morning, uh, Mr. Al and I were praying this morning earlier just for our services today. And it just came up in conversation. I knew he had served as a missionary and ran a children's home in Mexico. But I didn't know the full story. And here's what he said. He said, I'll never forget I was 56 years old. When I quit my job, gave up three-fourths of my retirement because I had to be obedient to what God was calling me to do. And they moved to Mexico and ran a children's home. And so this encouragement is don't ignore the burden. Don't ignore God wants to use it. God wants to use it. Another ministry that maybe many of you have, have been involved in, served in, is our, our partnership with the food pantry. I want us to watch a, a quick video about the ministry with the food pantry. We have to retri- rely on something. And if it was not for the Olive Branch uh, food pantry, we could not make it. I don't know what we'd do. The food pantry is, is an awesome place to be able to, to be able to serve. It's, it's something that we don't always think that is needed in our area, but it's, uh, it's very much needed. Uh, we're, we're pretty well-to-do city. You, you would never think that people are, are in need. And, and the reality is that there, there are people in need everywhere. Um, our role is to serve those that um, might be in need uh, of food. Uh, we're not a soup kitchen. We do give out kind of like products and produce, but we um, are able to take donations from the community and um, serve uh, the town of Olive Branch. We've been volunteering, I don't know, three, maybe four years now. Um, Work with a group of college kids and we'll occasionally come as a group. They come and they enjoy loading the bags, loading the cars, meeting the people, talking to the to the individuals who come through here. We just love trying to, to make those relationships, whether it's us as, as, um, as adults or even kids. It's great for them to, to try to make those relationships early, at an early age as well. One of the main reasons the food pantry works so well is because of the generosity of our community. Whether it be food donation or monetary donation, we have the loving support of our local churches, local businesses, schools other institutions and individuals in the community. That's why our shelves are stocked. It is, it's the community giving back to the community and we're thankful. So I, I just thank God for the food pantry and, and I know it, it, it's a good, good service providing food for the people at Olive Branch. So many, many of you have served there. It's been an ongoing partnership for a while, but I, but I don't want you to miss is that it started with a burden. It started with a specific, unique burden that was there were people who need food. And so that was a unique emotional burden passion that moved from this unique special burden to action. Again, there's a theme here and the encouragement is Let's not let that burden sit. 
There's one more testimony that I want us to hear from this morning. It's uh, Chris, and Nicole, Chris and Nicole Taylor, uh, and they are going to come and share about a specific burden that God has placed on their heart uh, for foster care and what that has looked like in their life. I appreciate y'all being willing to share this morning. Good morning. Good morning. I just want to share a little bit about our journey with foster care. Uh, for us, it started uh, in around 2012. Uh, we'd been married for 11 years, had three kids, uh, good jobs, active in our church. Uh, things are going well. Uh, but God began to create uh, kind of a restlessness in our hearts that maybe there was something else that he was, he was calling us to do. And we didn't know what that was at the time. But he uh, was using several different things in our lives at the time. We were in a small group that was meeting at our home on Sunday nights, and uh, we went through uh, David Platt's book, Radical. And that really challenged us to be more missional and think about how we could serve those around us. Uh, we also had uh, some cousins who were, um, had began fostering about the same time, and so we were exposed to the, to the way that they had served. Um, and Nicole's story has a lot to do with this as well, so I'll let her share, share that. So when I was growing up, I was um, in a broken home and kind of a, a little bit of a rough home life. And when I was in high school, I became an unofficial foster child. I wasn't in the system, but my mom was going through a real dark time and had to move um, to another place. And so I moved in with a friend from high school, and her family was a pastor's family. And I got to see um, a different kind of life, and it radically changed my life, just being able to see a family that loved each other and that served God and that um, just really embodied the gospel. Um, and I really got to see that I didn't have to repeat the patterns that I had um, had growing up, and I could have, um, you know, a godly family of my own. So I got married, and we had kids, and uh, we kind of came to the realization, like, I had the kind of home that I wanted to be able to share with um other kids in hard times, and it was when my daughter was in first grade that um, we met a family next door to us who uh, had a girl her age, and she started coming over to our house all the time and uh, being with us all the time, and uh, we realized pretty quickly that her home life was really bad. It was a bad situation next door, and um, uh, after a few months, they became homeless, and they actually asked us to look after their daughter um, until the end of the school year, and so uh, she stayed with us a few weeks, and then um, it became inevitable that she was going to have to, she and her brothers were going to have to go into foster care. Um, before they went into foster care, um, we took all of them to McDonald's one night and let them play in the play place and bought them burgers, and we were just watching them play, and Chris and I kind of had a defining moment that we were like, God has called us to help kids like this and to, to move forward and do something more. Um, so Chris can tell you a little bit about that. Yeah, so God really began to firm up that burden in our heart. Um, our neighbor really put a face to it and made it more real. Uh, but a couple of things that he showed us during that time. Um, one was, uh, you know, in Psalms 139, it talks about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And how he planned all our days before any of them began. And he showed us that there are kids out there who maybe no one sees that um, are really struggling. And that though that passage of scripture applies to them as well. Mm -hmm. We prayed that over our own kids. And, um, 
it just showed us the value that he sees and the love he has for these children. Um, the other thing was, uh, if you think about what are the greatest blessings in our life, it's our relationship with God, it's our family, it's our home. And if you look at what are the greatest needs in a foster kid's life, uh, they need a home. They need a bed to sleep in. They need food to eat. Um, they need somebody to love and care for them. And they need to understand what uh, God's love means for their life. Mm -hmm. So he really firmed that up in our life. Um, enough to the point where it was clear to us that we needed to move forward with this. So we began the process of getting licensed. It took several months of classes and interviews and just getting everything ready. But after a couple of months, we were licensed. Uh, and a few months after that, we got our first placement. Uh, and Nicole's going to share a little bit more about that. So we got our first placement in April 2014. And we've had 10 kids come through our home through the years. Some stayed just a week or so. Some stayed for a couple years. So um, there have been lots of really good high moments and lots of really low, low moments that made me want to throw in the towel. Um, there's been a lot of uh, really good things that came out of it and um, really difficult things. But we've had the support of our um, of our family and our faith family specifically, there were times when um, we got a placement and we needed a crib. Five minutes later, a friend from church gives me a crib. Uh, we needed clothes. Uh, one time we got a placement when Chris was out of town. Uh, one of his friends came over and set up the bunk beds because we were taking in sisters. Um, we've needed tutoring for our kids. I've needed advice about hair. I've needed uh, an automatic birthday party, last-minute birthday party. You invite over the carpenters and their birthday party. Um, so, you know, we've had amazing Sunday school teachers. Um, you know, we've had people help us with transportation. Um, but, you know, we got into this thinking we're going to help kids who need... Um, need a home. Uh, but then, you know, eventually they'll go back. We were just going to do foster care. We weren't really looking to adopt. Um, but God had other plans and he placed, um, a little girl in our lives that, um, it became apparent pretty quickly. She was going to be eligible for adoption. And so three years ago this week, she became, uh, Jalen Nicole Taylor. She became our daughter and it's just our precious daughter. So, um, Chris is going to share a little bit about, uh, how our family has done this. Yeah. So one of the other blessings is just to see how God has used our whole family, Nicole and I. Um, the other kids have been a, a big part of this. They've certainly been impacted by this, but they've also ministered to these other kids in ways that, that we couldn't. So it's just really been cool to see God use them uh, to, to be the sister, the brother that they need, uh, just to, to meet needs and just let them be kids and have somebody to play with. So just to kind of summarize it, um, I agree completely with what Jared said this morning, that God may put a burden on your heart. And usually that means because there's something he wants you to do. Yeah. Um, so uh, don't, don't miss out on that opportunity. Um, you know, there were scary things about it. We didn't know how to handle a lot of it. But we've trusted God, and he's, he's met the needs. Yeah. And I just can't imagine missing out on some of the blessings that we've had uh, because of that. So that's it. Thanks. Thank you so much. We thank the Taylor family for sharing this morning. Love y'all. Thank you so much for sharing. And so there's a, there's a unique burden. And so if you just think about how that plays out, if there's this pushing away of that burden or not looking to that burden or not, not acting, the, the, 
the adventure and the missing out. Uh, that, that's something very close to my wife and I's heart. We have walked through the adoption process as of next week, I believe. Uh, we're we're going to be licensed to be foster parents. And, and the, the, the journey is that it's that burden. Like, what, what is he placed on your heart? And then the question is this, when you back away from that, to know that God doesn't waste that. And so the question is, where does that unique burden and need and opportunity intersect. And so even discovering that as a, as a teenage student who has been saved by the grace of God and looking to make that impact, or a 56-year-old who's on the way towards a very safe and secure retirement and yet knows that God has said, no, I'm calling you to go. It's going to look different. So there's this calling that God has sent us. We're to live sent. But then Ephesians 2.10, it begins to look at how has God uniquely wired you and shaped you and what does that mission living out look like in your life. And so uh, just as we wrap up, three encouragements. Number one is I've talked about drifting a little, a little earlier. Talked about drifting. Dangerous things can happen when you drift. When you get a little lazy behind the wheel, you can drift a little too far right, end up on gravel and slam into a mailbox that is a house and not a mailbox. Like dangerous things can happen. But the encouragement is this, is believer, are you drifting? Have you drifted? And this is God in his grace waving the flag of caution and love. And he is inviting us as believers to those areas of our lives that we have been hesitant to give over to him, that we would repent of that, turn from that, and surrender ourselves completely to him. And so, by God's grace, may we not drift. Hebrews 2.1 says, therefore, we must pay attention. We must pay, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. And so this encouragement, don't drift. The, the other encouragement would be for the believers in the room. And so it would be to, uh, one, be encouraged, we're missionaries. <laughs> we're sent ones. We've been called. We've been called. We've been commissioned. This Holy Spirit, what? Will empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So, so Olive Branch, DeSoto County, South Haven, Memphis, State and beyond. He's called us to that. What's the unique emotional heartbeat, that special burden that is on your heart that causes your heart to beat a little bit faster that you're passionate about? And where does that burden and need and opportunity intersect? And this could be the very thing that God is inviting you into this adventure to live sent, to live as a missionary in that making the gospel known through that avenue of ministry. May we not miss out on the adventure. And the last thing I would share is it is possible that you're in the room today or you're listening in online and, and you are living apart from a relationship with Jesus. And what I love is what I mentioned, we're ascending church because God is ascending God. That there was a need that only he could address in our lives and that need was to make a way for our sin to be forgiven. Our need, our greatest need is to be forgiven. And there's nothing that we could do on our own that can do anything about that. And so for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son mission to meet our greatest need. And he 
lived a perfect life, died on a cross through crucifixion, shed His blood because His blood was the only way that we could be forgiven of our sin. He was placed in a tomb and He rose from the dead the third day. We read about it in John chapter 20. And so He is, He's saying, look at my hands. Look at my side. That He has paid the price for your sin. And the invitation is to you today. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that you would acknowledge your need for Him. That you would turn from sin and self. And that you would surrender your life to King Jesus. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And so today... Do you have a relationship with God? Do you have peace with God? The peace that only He can give. And my encouragement is today you would receive Him as Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for, thank you for Your Word. God, thank You for John chapter 20. Thank You for Ephesians chapter 2. God, thank You for Your divinely authoritative, inspired, God-breathed word to us. Father, as a local faith family that has been bought and redeemed by your grace, rescued by your grace in your shed blood, may we not lose sight of our purpose for your glory, for your mission. For the drifters, Father, thank you for your grace. God, I pray that if we find ourselves and we find ourselves starting to catch on loose gravel, spiritually speaking, that by your grace, we would, we would see and hear your love and we would repent of those areas of our lives and we would focus, refocus our lives on you. And Father, that we would find ourselves tethered to your word, find ourselves connected in community, finding ourselves living out this calling that you have commissioned and called us for. For the believer who's in the room, and there is a special burden that you have placed on their heart, and for whatever reason, the season isn't right, the circumstances seem too daunting, and maybe one day, maybe one day, maybe one day, Father, I pray, God, that today would be an encouragement to see where does that special burden, where does a need in our broken world and where does opportunity intersect? And we would find ourselves investing our lives into your mission, making you known through that avenue. And Father, today, may the lost be saved. May that person who thinks there's no hope or apart from a relationship be reminded of your grace and your love and your care through the cross, through your burial, through your resurrection. Christ, I hear your words. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Father, you invite, you invite all of those, all of those apart from you to come and you receive them as sons and daughters. So Father, work in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're going to have a song of response. We'll have pastors here that would love the privilege to pray over you. Uh, if you feel led to come pray at the altar, come pray at the altar. If you want to make your chair, your seat right there, an altar, that they would be sensitive to God's leading, God's working, God's Holy Spirit. 
And if you're here and you're like, I need Jesus, I need a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to come. We would love to encourage you and share uh, that gospel message once again with you and you give your heart to Jesus. Now let's worship the Lord.